All right, hello, welcome. I was literally just saying out loud, I never know how to start a show. Especially a show like this, that's episode one of a brand new show uh, that we are doing here at Guerrilla Sports. This is called This Is Fun. And that title has several different meanings, many of which we'll unpack over, I'm sure, the course on the life of this show. Um, but this is going to be a show... Um, about covering sports. I'm your host. I'm Jesse Montano. If you don't already know, uh, I cover the Avalanche, the Colorado Avalanche, and the NHL uh, here in Denver for uh, Guerrilla Sports, a new sports media outlet here in the Mile High City, but a company that's been around for a long time. Something else that we'll get into. Um, but the number one thing that maybe I get asked about my job is, what is it like? Wow, that's really cool. What do you do? And, and I thought this show would maybe be an opportunity um, for me and Jay, who you're going to meet here in just a minute, uh, to pull the curtain back a little bit on this crazy industry that we are super lucky um, to, to work in and get to be a part of. Uh, and really, that is how I do view uh what we do and, and our work in this industry is i feel lucky to be a part of it i don't i don't feel like i work in sports i i feel fortunate that i get to uh be a part of a, a a crazy landscape a landscape that is unlike anything else i've ever done uh for work for hobbies uh anything and and we get to meet a lot of interesting people so this is going to be a show like i said about being in sports and, and getting to be around sports every day. And naturally, the conversations will um, lead to relevant topics, things that are happening. Like I said, I cover the Colorado Avalanche in the NHL. I'm around hockey a lot. We're, of course, going to get into that kind of stuff and my opinions on certain things. But um, we get to do a lot of cool things here. I just got back from a 17-day trip uh, on the road that spanned the NHL All-Star Game all the way through uh, six different buildings, and we're going to talk about what a, a lot of that is like, the experiences we have, uh, the, the the people we meet, and we will have guests on here, um, and every guest that you see on this show will be someone that we have met in the sports media in industry that, that I find interesting for one reason or the other. This, this industry is littered with people that are just fascinating and how they got here and how we all ended up in, in kind of the same place. Um, so we're going to have those folks on. They're going to, uh, again, kind of tell their story, how they got here, who they are. And I'm sure it's going to lead uh, to some really, really fascinating conversations, uh, relevant, timely conversations, you know, current, present day news, uh, as well as maybe some, some of the more interesting stories that, uh, you know, we've been fortunate enough to, to meet people uh, that have these stories to tell. And, and our guests are going to range anywhere from uh, someone like me who covers sports, who works in sports, all the way up to, you know, we're, we're hoping on our list we've got players, we've got uh, you know, um, staff is the word I couldn't find, uh, you know, general managers, management, coaches, all the way through social media folks, uh, people that work in TV, uh, PR uh, representatives for teams, leagues, things like that. We hope this is going to be a really, really wide ranging podcast covering a lot of different topics. And, um, the name, this is fun comes from, there's a, a team that I've seen that has a sign in their locker room. Uh, or they, they used to that said, this is fun. And I think that's a nice reminder 
for sports and get into work in sports. We can get caught up in the day-to-days. It's really tiring sometimes. It's late nights. It's early mornings. Uh, like I said, it's traveling. It's a lot of different planes, trains, automobiles. Um, and sometimes watching sports can feel stressful and your team isn't doing what you want them to or they're not performing the way you want them to. But at the end of the day, um, this is a lot of fun and, and we get to have a lot of fun with what we do here and, and we're going to hopefully bring you guys along for some of the fun. This is going to be an ever-changing, kind of growing podcast. So this is episode one and let me introduce you to um, the, the, the person who will be taking this whole journey with us uh, and is really someone who does a, a lot of very thankless and tireless work behind the scenes um, that people don't realize they're watching stuff that, that he does. Uh, he puts a lot of work into um, every single night when they are clicking on our content. Um, should I introduce you by your your proper name? Uh, th- th- this is Yerun Borisma. How was my pronunciation on that? Bad? It was all right. It was bad. It was Can all right. Can you say it? Uh, Yerun Borisma. Uh, I was but... way off on the last. I feel better about the first name. We call him Jay. Um, Jay, you, um, I guess I don't even really know what to describe you as right now. You kind of do every, anything that I randomly text Jay at odd hours. I say, hey, can you stop what you're doing and do this really inconvenient thing? And he does it. And um, so thank you. Tell tell everyone a little bit about you and how how you and I ended up sitting in this room together. Well, I think your introduction was pretty good, as in I don't really know what I'm doing <laughs> because I do a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a background in journalism back in the Netherlands, uh, also sports journalism. Then I went on to work for a international pro beach volleyball event. Which is awesome. Um, as a social media manager, videographer. So I did all of that too. And here... I think I'm combining both of those, the the social media stuff, the journalism, the storytelling, and there's just so much to do to tell with Denver sports that we're doing with Gorilla Sports. But also what we're trying to do here is just the the other side of sports media mm-hmm. that we just can't tell. It's not even, right. we don't want to. It's just, mm-hmm. there's no room for that. Yeah. But here there is. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be part of that mostly behind the scenes, but sometimes in front of the camera, like right now, like on the J cam, that's what we're going to call it. Exactly. (laughs) Um, and yeah, like you said, it's going to be a lot of fun and we're going to have a lot of insights Mm -hmm. in, in just what, what goes on in sports that you don't always see because Mm -hmm. it's not that relevant, but super interesting. Well, and, and like you said, we, we spent, um, it was five days in Toronto at the draft. And there's a lot of stuff there that I remember you and I even talking before the trip of like, oh, that'd be really cool to like, you know, show what, what you guys are doing behind the scenes. But like sometimes when we get to those types of events, like you said, there's just no room for us to be able to stop and, and you know, make this extra thing. There's not enough time. There's not enough, you know, whatever. So that's what we kind of hope to do here. Everything that we are doing here at Gorilla Sports it is about telling stories and, and, and giving people maybe the access that, that we are fortunate enough to get in a lot of instances. Um, and so we want to do that on this side of it as well. Cause like I said, off the top, um, I get asked about what it is that we do a lot. Again, we, we are going to, I've got, you know, I've got some topics for today. We're going to of course work through things that, that are relevant, that are timely, that we experience, that we see firsthand. Um, and, and you know, so it's always going to stay, uh, relevant and current and all of that stuff, but uh, I'm excited to be able to pull, peel back the curtain a bit and 
have you here to help move the story forward, Jay? Sounds good. Awesome. Well, I think that's about, I think that kind of covers it. Like I said, this will be an ever changing, ever kind of growing, uh, show the way that we do things. Um, our first guest, I don't think necessarily knows he's going to be my first guest yet. And that's the way I like it. I was trying to tiptoe around his schedule to, to put him on the spot a bit, but, uh, we've got an exciting list of names that will be coming up here over the next couple of weeks. Okay. I just mentioned uh, 17 days on the road if you count the travel days, which I know some people do, some people don't because you're, you're, you're in your own bed that day. Uh, but 17 days in total on the road uh, following the Colorado Avalanche started at the NHL All-Star Game. Uh, it was an abysmal trip for the abs uh really not not good if you're taking out overtime points they go one in five on a six game trip there was plenty of interesting travel things that happened to me um on that trip but i don't necessarily know if we need to get into all of that the one thing i'm already see look this is my show right i can make a tangent <laughs> i'm already taking a, a a small little side quest here i got a Thai massage have you ever got a Thai massage jay never tie no they walk on you, and I did not know that until <laughs> I was laying on the table. Um, and the the person was because you know they start at your legs and stuff like that, your calves. Well, then suddenly I felt her stand up on the table, and I was like, well, "What is happening?" And at one point, they walked all the way, one foot on each leg, on each ankle, all the way up to where my neck meets my back. I can see your face, Jay. I loved it. I would do it again. I was very sore leaving there, um, but I genuinely felt refreshed for about five days. That's what I would expect, but like in the moment, it hurts like hell. It was painful. And you don't know why it's happening yeah. and why they do it. Yeah. And then the next day, you're like, wow, I can actually move? Yeah, you're 100% correct. It, it, it was because there was a part of it that was like, this just hurts. But then even like when they would stop and they would be, you know, moving to a different thing or, you know, putting whatever they're you know, washing their hands or whatever, I could like feel the blood like moving through my body. Like my, my, my legs were like warm and stuff like that. So that was one thing that I will share. I got a Thai massage. I, I, I did a deep tissue massage. I've done t deep tissue massage before. Was not expecting them to walk on me, but uh, highly recommend it. Other than that, what I wanted to talk about today was the All-Star Game. Uh, this was my second All-Star Game in person. Uh, the last one that I went to was two years ago in Vegas. That one was great because of the way that the event was set up. I'm a big advocate for, I think, the league, the NHL, really, you know, the NFL. sounds like the MLB is on their way to Vegas here in a couple of years if the Oakland A's ever get figured out what they're in the middle of. Vegas is built for these types of events. They're built for conferences and concerts and, and these types of large-scale events. I thought having it in Vegas, the infrastructure, the proximity of the hotels to the arena, everything, I thought it was great. Um, to me, it really kind of like lessened the burden of the stress that can be those big national events where everybody's there. It's, it's just chaos. It's craziness. Um, this one was interesting, though. Because it was the NHL All-Star Game in Toronto. the cent What is largely considered the, the center of the hockey universe. Um, 
And so the the buzz that was there, I thought was fun and exciting. Not only that, the NHL changed the format back this year. They did the player draft. They kept the, the three-on-three tournament, but they did the player draft, and I, I liked the change. Because that, to me, was the NHL saying, hey, we know this product has gone stale. We need to add something to it. The NBA just had the, their All-Star Weekend wrap-up yesterday. The game was yesterday for, for uh, the, the NBA. And they redid their format. They made All-Star Weekend a little bit longer. There were panels. There were um, more emphasis on like fan-centered events. Um, they're not keynotes. Is panel the right word? Like what they do at Comic-Con? Is that a panel? I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where everyone's just sitting and you can ask a question. Yes, yeah. There's like 10 people at a table. Yeah, I would call that a panel. Yeah. So the NBA did stuff like that and they really kind of changed into like, all right, we're going to do a celebration. And, you know, they did the big LED um, basketball court that changed and it was really fun. The game was a disaster yesterday. What's supposed to be the marquee event, the players, again, mailed it in, couldn't get anyone to try. And the NHL has had the same issues. One change I thought the NHL made that that was positive was for the skills competition, they completely redid skills. Only a handful of players of the overall All-Star game were selected to participate in skills. They each did multiple events, and the winner of all of the events with an aggregate, uh, the highest aggregate score won a million dollars. Media availability after the skills competition, the, the Every player said that was tough. I was, you know, I was breathing. You got into the last couple of events, and Kale McCard told us this. He was like, suddenly you realize a million dollars is on the line. I don't care who you are, how much money you make, a million dollars is a million dollars. And he said everyone kind of realized, like, oh shit, I I can make this happen here. I can put a million bucks in my pocket. So guys are getting after it. Give the NHL credit on that. Um, I I think. The NBA, the NHL, and what also happened in the middle of all of this was the Pro Bowl for the NFL, uh, and same thing. They did the flag football game, and it was just kind of a joke. To me, clearly the leagues, these are money grabs, right? Like, let's all be honest. The the All-Star game is put on because it's an extra form of revenue for for the league, the leagues, and it's supposed to be the you know essentially the ultimate way to market your team right or your league all of the best players are in one spot all competing when i think we learned this year you had three different leagues try new things this year to the same result if you want to keep doing this i think they all need to go back to the drawing board the nhl has the most amount of runway they're doing the four nation the newly announced four nations tournament next year over what would have been the all star break then the following season, it's the Olympic break, which has always supplanted the All-Star break now that the NHL is going back. You have two years, if you're the NHL, to get this product right if you want to keep doing it. I just We were in Toronto. The buildings were emptying out halfway through the games. The, 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 the All-Star game, there were still events going on after, but it wasn't marketed correctly. The building emptied out. Like you have to do something to reinvigorate and reinvigorate excitement, not only amongst the fans, but amongst the players. When the players don't want to be there, that's how you end up with these types of products. Um, 
I have been an advocate for recently of like just turning these, essentially do what the NBA did, but lose the game. Do more skills. If you want to do multiple days of skills, you can. But I actually loved the idea that the NBA had of doing panels and getting the fans involved. They do the big fan fest every year at the All-Star Game. And I think that's the best thing that they do. They, they bring in exhibits. They bring in, you know, Hall of Fame items. Especially this year with the NHL, it was in Toronto. You're right next to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Like, lose the game. You don't. We don't need to see players going 25% at an all-star game anymore. That's also kind of how I feel about all those all-star games. Yes. Because you, you try to get the best players there to see basically the best hockey game ever. Yep. But the problem is there's no competition involved. It's right. just one game and it's over. They don't have to be there. They don't want to be there. They don't. There's nothing to it. Right. They're not winning a Stanley Cup. That's what they do in the regular season where they put their everything in. Well, and, and they're playing with guys that they wouldn't normally play with that are normally rivals. And that was why I liked that the NHL did the player draft this year because it got you out of the division. Yeah, that was cool. So you're not like, you know, compete. You're not playing with guys that you're normally going like the most, you know, ferociously head to head with. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I almost think that they need to do like make it like hockey con. And just do four days, and you can do an on-ice skills you know, portion. You could even do that across multiple days. Take the same format the NHL did this year, but make it a two-day thing. So this, you know, ooh, the leader after day one is this player. Let's see if they can keep it going tomorrow. But I, I actually think that that's what they should do now. Take the, the Comic-Con idea and, and make it about your league. This is just a huge celebration of the league and the sport and all kinds of, you know, the people that are in it. We'll do panels, we'll do special events, things like that. But I, I think this year between the Pro Bowl, the NBA All-Star Game, and what we witnessed live in Toronto for the NHL All-Star Game, turn it into a big convention. You just got to make sure that the players also want to be there. Because obviously for the fans, <clears throat> it's going to be more right. fun. Right. But the players still have to have a reason to be there. To be there. And I... And they put it in Long Island for 2027. I think they need to be in warm weather locations. I think maybe even put them in locations there aren't normally there aren't teams. Um, <clears throat> that's what I think. I think we can move on from All Star, but <clears throat> it was interesting. Like I said, this is the second one that I've been to, uh, and getting to see them up close. Um. And then watching what happened in the two other leagues that I wasn't at, to me, this is just a, it's it's time to move on. Um, <coughs> trade deadline coming up for the NHL, the NBA's trade deadline, uh, I believe just passed. And Nathan McKinnon made an interesting comment to us in Toronto at All-Star Weekend. There was a, 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 I believe they were a local Toronto reporter, asked Nathan McKinnon, about trade deadline and, ooh, it's coming up. Is that in the back of your mind at all? Are you guys thinking about that? He made kind of a, a funny tongue-in-cheek joke of, well, gosh, I don't think I'm getting traded, so I'm not too nervous about it. And I think it's safe to say that, no, Nathan McKinnon is not getting traded. Um, but he made a comment unprompted. No one asked him about this. He said, I think the trade deadline needs to be earlier. And he called upon the fact that two years ago when the Avs won the Stanley Cup, um, they made multiple moves. They brought in Josh Manson, Arturi Lekkinen, uh, Andrew Cogliano, Nico Sturm. Three of those four moves were made 
multiple weeks in advance of the trade deadline. Andrew Cogliano, if my memory serves me correctly, was the only player acquired on trade deadline day. And that was very obviously a depth ad. Now, if you're an Avalanche fan, you know he did play a significant role on the leadership side of that Stanley Cup. But Josh Manson, Arturi Lekkinen, who scores the, the, the goal to send them to the Stanley Cup final and the cup clinching goal, those were big impact players that were brought in ahead of the trade deadline. Nathan McKinnon's argument was you need guys to have more time to get acclimated to these new teams. And we've seen countless examples of that in the past where guys get to these new teams. It's scrambly. They're getting families moved. You know, kids are in school, so maybe they can't have their family there. And it just never really clicks. And then they sign somewhere new in the summer and they're right back to the player they were. I just thought it was an interesting uh, thing for Nathan McKinnon to bring up without anyone saying, do you think the trade deadline should be earlier? He went out of his way to say, I think the league needs to take a look at this and maybe move it up. Did you? Was this something that you were talking about before? Well, I think it's mostly interesting that a guy like Nathan McKinnon says it. It's not like a, a third-line mm-hmm. guy or whatever. It's one of the best players in the league. Yeah. If he says this unprompted, he, he means something with right. that. Yeah, it's it's something that, like, it, it almost felt a little bit, again, like, uh, not message sending. I don't think Gary Bettman in the NHL are, like, changing their rules based on what Nathan McKinnon says, but this is a, a prominent star player at your All-Star game saying, hey, look, you know, my opinion on this is, if we're going to be getting, if we're going to be moving guys this time of year, let's... Let's move this up so that so that guys so that teams know what they're doing, who their guys are, um, and and it also just gives you a, a a chance to if you are a player that's being traded or you're on the block, you don't have to be sitting there sweating it this late into the season. Tyson Jost was the you know was the example uh, a couple seasons ago when the Abs won the Cup. You know he's traded really late into the season. You go through sixty to you know seventy five percent of the season with a team, and then get traded, and you have to go watch them. You know, have all that kind of success and stuff like that. So, I don't know. I, I don't think I need to spend a lot of time here. But um, one other thing I did want to mention: it is just funny this time of year. We go to the press box last night, and it's packed, shoulder to shoulder. Um, scouts from everywhere showing up. So that is another thing to keep in mind here. Over the next couple of weeks, you will see a lot of tweets from a lot of different media personalities uh, across the NHL. Like I said, the NBA, theirs is just passed. Obviously, NFL, uh, MLB, uh, ordering their, their off seasons. But actually, I just thought of something. This, this thought just came to me. I believe the NFL, and they may have changed it by a week or two with the, the, the addition of the, uh, the, um, uh, the addition of an additional game. Um, with them adding another game to the schedule. So there's maybe a little bit, but NFL, their trade deadline is right about the halfway point of the season. I think that's pretty appropriate. Like it makes more sense, right? I think so. You have half your season to figure out who you are, what you need, what you need to address. Then you have the back half of your season to get this new group acclimated, gelled together, uh, and you go. I mean, really, the trade deadline for the NHL is March 8th. I'm going to pull up, and this is great listening, March 8th, the Colorado Avalanche ends their season on April 18th. 
and and that that mostly means there may be you know give or take a day uh, for teams around the league. But really, you're talking about okay, so you're gonna go October through March with one group, and then you got six weeks to figure out what you got if you're a playoff team that is added. To me, those the more that we're sitting here talking about it, those ratios are just off. I didn't come into this with like a Nathan McKinnon is right attitude, but like the longer I sit here kind of talk it through, I think Nathan McKinnon's right. It's just weird that, yeah, that it's so late in the season. Yeah. And, yeah, like you said, also the teams that know they need to have a new player, they're not going to wait until the very end of the season. Right. And right. if the, if if there's anything that they want to figure out after this season, they'll do it after this season. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, if it's a move that you felt you couldn't make in season, you're 100% correct. We see that every year. We think these teams are going to be super active. They end up not really doing anything. And then that summer, when you have more cap flexibility, you have a little bit better idea of what players worked, what didn't. Okay, are, are these players that we maybe won't be able to re-sign? Uh, yeah, like you, like you just said, we... we we end up seeing that a lot anyways. Um, all right, cool. I'm officially on <laughs> on Nathan McKinnon's level here. I think they need to move it up. We'll let him know next time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, I was thinking about uh, – I'll, yeah, I'll tell him tomorrow morning skate. was thinking about <laughs> what you said the All-Star game. You're right. They should move up the uh, trade deadline. <laughs> See you later. Uh, last thing I wanted to get into here for me, uh, Colorado Avalanche, Arizona Coyotes last night. Four total reviews. Uh, three goal reviews. And uh, one penalty review. We talked about it last night in our post-game show. Um, for me personally, and Jared Bednar, head coach of the Colorado Avalanche, echoed this sentiment. Last night I actually thought was an example where they got every call right. It slowed the game down, no doubt. You ended up, I believe it was right at about four hours for a regular season game. That is way too long. That is not what the NHL wants. That's not what we want in the media. That's not what fans want. But um, I do feel like they did the four reviews. One of them was to confirm a penalty that was called on the ice to make sure that it was actually an opposing player's stick that caught Nathan McKinnon, coincidentally, up high and cut him. It was. Um... Two goals were called back for offside, uh, and then one uh, Colorado goal was uh, upheld. Uh, The two that were called back for the offside, the Colorado Avalanche, I thought they were clearly offside. They got the call right. The one that I think is even leading to any level of of, of discussion today uh, is the Arizona Coyotes goal that was called back that took nearly six minutes to review. Jay, let me ask you, just hearing that at face value, without seeing it, six minutes too long. Yeah. I tend to agree with you. Um, You can't, every league, every pro league right now is doing everything they can to speed up the game. I believe even the pro beach volleyball thing that, that you were a part of, part of what you talked about with me with that was like, yeah, we want to do this quicker. We want to do, you know, better, more efficiently, more action, more entertainment. Like everyone's trying to figure out how to speed the game up. And the NHL is kind of stuck in this rut with they're getting these long reviews. And it just leads to an interesting conversation of there's two different things that I think it, that, that make this topic interesting. One, do we want the replays to get the call right? You can talk to a lot of old school sports fans who say instant replay is ruining the game. 
It used to just be you lived with what happened. And I can see how that's appealing because then it is just truly whatever happens out there happens and you you, you live with it. Sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong. But I don't know. I, I, I think I'm of the opinion of like we have the technology to see when things are black and white, right and wrong, and I think we should utilize that. The fact that baseball still has real umpires behind home plate drives me up a wall. You Not only do you have the technology in your possession if you're baseball to get strikes and balls called correctly with 100% accuracy, you use it on your broadcasts. You will show, yep, that was a strike, and then you will put up there a ball because that was what the umpire called. When you're showing on TV, that was in the strike zone, and then you're allowing your umpires to call pitches wrong, it blows my mind. And I sit here and I say, okay, well, if we have that technology, why wouldn't we use it to make sure that we are getting the most accurate results, especially when you start talking about gambling and betting money and over-unders and things like that. Now, the second argument, and my great friends down at PHNX Coyotes uh, down in Arizona, were making the argument that the goal that was called back, it's razor thin. And that begs the question of, and you guys have probably heard me talk about this before in past podcasts, are we doing reviews to uphold the written letter of the law? Was it offside or was it not? Black and white. Or are we doing reviews to uphold the spirit and the integrity of what the rule was meant to be put in place? And I think that's where maybe where people get upset. Um, last night, if you're looking at that Coyote's goal that gets called back, if he's offside, if Alexander Kerfoot's offside, it's by this much. Does that make a difference? Does that impact the game? You could even go all the way back to what was that, 2019? The infamous Gabe Landeskog going for a line change. He was ruled to be eligible to be replaced by a player on the ice, but then was also ruled to be offside as the Avs took the zone to score the game-time goal in Game 7 of Round 2 of the playoffs. It, it's, it's hard because... In the Gabe Landeskog instance, actually in both these instances, you're upholding the written letter of the law. That was a player who was offside. But I think both of those, if you're talking about the spirit of the rule, did they gain an unfair advantage by that player being offside? The answer in both of those examples I gave you was no. And I can see how that can be frustrating if you're a fan or just a spectator in general. So what's your opinion? What would you go for? <sighs> I... I I think you are at the point where the technology allows for you to uphold the written letter of the rule. And for me, as much as that can be annoying at times that you have guys who are offside by a half inch, why have the rule then? And where and where do you stop the gray area? That's kind of what I'm thinking of. Because if you say uh, you are offside, but only by two inches... Right. That's okay. Okay, is, is three inches okay? Right. Is four inches okay? Right. And, and okay, well, if two inches is okay, then make the blue line wider to include those two inches. Like, I, I just don't know. <clears throat> it's hard and it's frustrating in the moment. Now, here is how I think you fix it. I think you either put a time limit on how long you're able to review 
or the refs have to look at reviews in real time. You can't slow it down. Because that's where I think people get frustrated. Because when you watch a play, you're like, that's onside. That's good. Using on and offside in hockey is the example, right? But but I think you, you know, there's there's plenty of I am of the opinion that in the NFL, and I believe this did change. I believe this did change. But like, I think you should be able to throw a challenge flag on a penalty. Was that pass interference or was it not? Again, like, and, and this is what opens the Pandora's box of it all. But um, my thing is, I think the refs should be able to go look at it. But when you're breaking stuff down frame by frame by frame, that's where I start getting into the spirit of the rule argument. Where it's like, look, if you need, you know, a microscope and, a, and, and, you know, a 60-frame breakdown to see if his toe touched the line in time, then to me, that's like, okay, what are we doing here? Because now you're talking about fractions of inches and milliseconds. I think if you can look at it in real time or maybe half speed and you say, yes, that's offside, then it's offside. But I, I, where I do understand... The qualms of people is when you are talking about we're watching this seriously. It's, you know, it's sixty frames per second, and we're looking at each individual frame to determine was his toe this far from the line or was it touching the line. That's where I'm like, gosh, what are we doing here? And you yeah. seem like you disagree with that. Well, <clears throat> uh, for, first of all, we're not gonna find a solution right now, right. which is which is great because now we can just talk about it and we don't have to, whatever. I think a rule is a rule. If it's offside, it's offside. I'm with you. Yeah, and I'm with you. if it's offside by this much and it's they offside. can see it yeah. on the camera and they do see it on the camera and they say, we're not going to look at it. And later a TV crew, whatever, is, is showing you on this TV is, and yes. it's offside and your team is disadvantaged. What are you going to do? And You're not going to say, well, you know, spirit of the game. And this is this is what I think is the correct argument of it and the unfortunate part of it. Because you'll never get like a universal, you know, people to agree on it. But it's exactly what you just said. And that's what has started it all or what got us this point in the, you know, in the past is, okay, well, they didn't review it, but everyone on at home did. Everyone on Twitter did. Exactly. Everyone, everyone on the broadcast did. And that's where I think you run into problems and like I said, the gambling and the betting and all that stuff is if, if you have something that's clearly a wrong call and then every person on earth can see it was the wrong call, that's where you start getting into problems. So, um, yeah, I, I think I'm with you, Jay. Uh, unfortunately it's, it's, let me, let me put it this way. It's annoying if, if it was offside by this much, mm -hmm. for example, for this call, and you don't get that point. Your team doesn't get that point. But how much more annoying is it mm -hmm. the other way around when it wasn't offside, yep. it gets called offside, and it's not being yes. looked at. Yeah. Or if it was out offside and they, they don't call it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's um, Well, then here's my other thing, too, and, and this was a suggestion that was made last night that I heard someone make last night. There's already chips in the puck, like microchips. Mm. We're talking about using the technology at your disposal here, and you really want to make sure you get it right. Well, cool. Put some chips, you know, along the line, and if the and if the puck chip is fully across this, you're going to get an indicator, and that's at least going to tell you when the puck is in 
versus when it's not. So you're not having to watch where's the puck, where's the skater, where's this and where's that. And again, I think this is applicable across every sport. You just have to pick what your you know review situation is. We're talking about offside because that was a prominent role in last night's game. Um, that's all I got. What do you got for me this week, Jay? So, um, we were, or the Avalanche were playing the Coyotes yesterday. Yep. Um, you have been in the mullet arena. Yes. What did you think? Oh, wow, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, viewing perspective, I think it is awesome to get to see an NHL game in that setting. I think it's really hard to have an NHL team being the uh, second occupant of an NA- of a college arena. Yeah. Uh, what I also thought was interesting is uh, it has a capacity of 5,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, on average, last year, they got 4,600 people in. Yep. So it wasn't even full. The smallest arena, college arena, yep. about a third of the, the mm-hmm. average uh, stadium in, yep. in NHL, right? Not even full. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the, the people of Tempe voted against building a new stadium there. Yep. Um, I'm just wondering how much longer they can hold it out there. Um, and this feels like it's coming to a bit of a head. Exactly what you're talking about. Because here's what's so tough and what makes the Arizona Coyotes complicated for the NHL. Phoenix is a massive market in the United States. It's a top five. I believe it's a top five market in the U.S. as far as viewership, population, uh, sports market. It's a big, big draw. Should be. But do they care about hockey? Well, and and so that's kind of the the argument for a long time. The Arizona Coyotes used to play in downtown Phoenix uh, in what I believe is now called the Footprint Center. It may still be called that. It was, an, it was an arena built for basketball. It was not built for hockey. There was a lot of obstructed seats, bad sight lines. It just wasn't It just wasn't right. So they moved out to Glendale, Arizona. It would be the equivalency of the NHL moving ball arena to about where family sports is. Maybe a little bit further south. And traffic rush hour, being far from the center of the city, the response was terrible. And so the argument for a long time was, well, they just need to get back to downtown. People don't want to go out to the suburbs. My understanding of where the arena was going to be that was voted down was in like prime location. Very near the airport, right near this big river walk, kind of Cherry Creek-esque if you're familiar with Denver. Very nice. Very nice area, real near the ASU campus. So, you know, it's it's a, a very popular area, a lot of people over there. And the site that it was sitting, that, that they were going to be replacing is a literal, it's a dump. It's a landfill. It's a literal dump. Um, and they voted it down. No taxpayer money going towards the project. It was all privately funded. Now, big shout out to our guy, Craig Morgan, down with PHNX Coyotes. Um, I don't think the team and the league did a good job of letting people know this is not taxpayer funded. You're getting a free arena. 
all you got to do is vote yes. They did a bad job educating people on that. But it does beg the question of, does the market want a hockey team? Well, the reason why I brought up this story right now, and I just sent you, yeah. uh, I just sent you a, a news story by Daily Faceoff. Yep. Um, they're talking about how I'm reading it. Basically, it's impossible for them to stay unless you want to wait four, five, six years, because if they want to find somewhere to build a stadium now around Phoenix, they're gonna have to find private land, which is gonna take about a year to like have everything signed it just takes a while to do all of that get permits all that then you need to start building a stadium then you could like start playing there uh for the 2027 28 season Mm -hmm. that means you're going to be like you said the second occupant yeah in a college arena for one two three what is it four more seasons Mm -hmm. and and i believe this is already the Second or third season there? Exactly. This is their second one. Yeah. So it, it's that that is where the problem is. I because they are putting out reports, and again, Craig Morgan of PHNX Coyotes is no doubt the best person to follow on this. I was just talking with someone the other day who's also very familiar with this. They're like, I don't know where he gets this up. He's tied in on the politician side, on the city side, on the team side. So Craig Morgan's a great person to follow along with all this stuff. But you're right. Like they are the coyotes are reporting there's that tweet in the article saying yep. yes we have we have a spot but like you said okay let's say you have the spot that okay this is where it's going to be how long till you're ready to put a shovel in the ground and and now the NHLPA is getting on them for saying we can't keep doing this uncertainty. Well, that too, because uh, that is if they find a spot. They still haven't found anything. Mm-hmm. Nothing is in the works yet. They keep tweeting, and, and I mean, I I applaud them for trying to keep the spirits mm-hmm. up, but the Coyotes are tweeting, not even tweeting stories, but just the tweet itself, yeah. telling them that, no, we are trying to stay here, mm-hmm. and... and retweeting some new story with confirmed, confirmed. we are trying and I, like- I thought i thought the confirmed tweet was interesting that came on the heels of the nhl pa uh president i mean just ripping the coyotes at all-star weekend and they send out the tweet con- confirming a report from an, an individual uh you know third party contributor news outlet contributor i thought that was really weird the whole situation has become really messy. Um, it, it, it it sort of looked like the social media manager went rogue. Because they also tweeted then, if you didn't hear it from me, hashtag fake news. Yes. Me, as in, like, is that the social media manager? Well, and, and I was even wondering, like, did <clears throat> was there an exec that, like, said, I'm going to, you know, we got to nip this in the butt right now. I don't know. I hope the Coyotes can stay. I think Arizona is a really important market for the NHL. I think it's important for growing the game. But you're just getting to the point. Here's the other issue. The Coyotes haven't ever had any success. It's hard for them. It's it's almost kind of like if the Rockies didn't have if you know they had a stadium problem and they're asking people, hey, will you support us getting a new stadium? And everyone's kind of like, who cares? You don't, yeah. you don't, you don't win. And like, I do think the Coyotes are trying to build something in the, in the right direction there. But I, I think all of this uncertainty is starting to weigh on the players. I think it's starting to have an effect on the organization. And we may just be getting to a point 
that the NHL needs to move them and then needs to maybe revisit soon Arizona as an expansion location. We're going to start from scratch, and once you have your building ready, we'll we'll try again. Yeah, and I'm not trying to shit on no, on the, no, the, it, it, it's the a real thing at, at all. this point. Yeah, but like I'm just looking at the facts, and I just don't really see a possibility anymore to stay there. Also, because another tweet um, on the seventh of February, that is twelve days ago, and this was after they had missed their own sort of deadline twice already. Mm-hmm. They tweet out an announcement with our plans to stay in Arizona will be coming out soon. Twelve days later. We Nothing. still don't know anything. Yeah. Like it, it just takes too long. I'm with you. I, I'm with you because I, I really have. I've tried very hard to stay. Like I said, I, I think the Coyotes are. I, I think Arizona is an important market. I think there's some really diehard Coyotes fans who have stuck with the team through all of this and go sit in a 45 person, 4500 person arena every night. And, and I would like to see the Coyotes stay for their sake. But you're just getting to a point where you can't have it. I hadn't. I hadn't. Someone in the NHL ask me, would the NFL allow this? Would the NBA allow this? And I know a lot of people's knee jerk will be to say, well, the NFL did do it for the the San Diego Chargers at the time of the San Diego Chargers moving up to LA, playing in StubHub Field Stadium, whatever. That's very different. That was the NFL allowing a team that normally plays in front of 80,000 people to go into a 45,000 person arena. Double the size of your standard NHL uh, arena. Very, very, very different. Yes, half the size of a regular NFL stadium, still a very large outdoor venue. Where the Arizona Coyotes are playing right now is the equivalency. I mean, it's a college arena. It's like Budweiser Event Center where the AHL's Colorado Eagles play. It's like Magnus Arena where DU plays their games. It, it's it's a small, single-level, 10-row facility. It's great. It's brand new. But you can't have this go on for much longer. Yeah. Well, to to, to end this story, um, I did a little research. Okay. Uh, because now they're talking, of course, about if they're moving, where yeah. they're moving. Yep. The most prominent one is probably... Houston. Houston. Yeah. I thought Salt Lake City. Oh, yes. I'm no, uh Salt Lake City has emerged as the uh, yes. Because they said right. we're ready to host the team right now. Yes. We're we're ready for the expansion. Yeah. But if you need us, we're here right now. Yep. We yep. can just move a team in. So I did some research because I think most of our listeners are probably going to be from. I should have known Salt Lake. You're, you're, <laughs> it's Salt Lake. You're right. Uh, I'm think I think most of our listeners are probably going to be from the Denver area or at least Colorado. Um, and you've For been now. to the Mold Arena, like you said. Yep. Um, you've seen a lot of Avalanche fans in those stands, yes. right? Yes. Yes. Big time. Because it's pretty close. Yep. Well, just think about if they move to Salt Lake City. Um, Denver to Phoenix by car is 12 and a half hours. To Salt Lake City, it's only eight. It's mm. even closer. And a, a plane ticket costs between 250 and 330 to Phoenix. I looked up November next year, just like yeah, general start idea. Start of the season. Right? Exactly. Denver, Salt Lake City, 159 to 230. So it could actually be beneficial for Avalanche fans. Totally. Then also, they might, I mean, there's, there's some talks about Quebec City, yep. which would be kind of fun to have like a team back there right mm-hmm. for them um that takes like 30 hours to drive there <laughs> maybe maybe not the best for us and uh 621 to 733 dollars 
Wow. So, yeah. As Avs fans, let's root for <laughs> Salt Lake City, right? Yeah. Well, and, and I've been talking a lot in recent years about I want the Arizona once the Arizona Coyotes to move to the Central Division. I said I want them to be good because that's proximity wise. The Avs, when you look at a map, the Avs are kind of out on an island. Yeah. Like, and so having a team that's close in proximity, that's easy for fans to get back and forth. I think that's good for the Avs. That's good for the league. And then here's the other thing that you just said about either Salt Lake or Houston that would not be the case with Quebec City and and, and you're right Salt Lake they are very aggressively there's an there's an owner there's a building they're aggressively pursuing you wouldn't have to realign the Arizona Coyotes could stay in the central division moving to either Houston or Salt Lake City so it wouldn't be this like when the Winnipeg Jets moved from Atlanta to Winnipeg they had to play a season in the Eastern Conference and their travel was brutal <laughs> So you would be able to avoid this a little bit. I, I, I hope it doesn't happen. I genuinely, I hope the Arizona Coyotes can stay. Yeah. And I hope they get it worked out like today. Yeah. But if they have to move, move them to Salt Lake and then do everything you can to have the next expansion team be in Arizona and have a building ready. It's it's what the Kraken did. Seattle got awarded the 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 franchise and then spent the next two years grinding 365 days a year to get the arena ready. If you have to move the Coyotes, that's what they should do. Move them, put an expansion franchise there, ready to go for when the new building opens, and do everything you can to help market Arizona as a hockey market. Yeah, because I I mean I think they have to move. But I would feel terrible for the actual big fans yes. of the Coyotes yeah. that are just left without anything. With, with nothing. What are you going to do? That, yeah. That's it. That's it for you. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So, um, all right. Let's get on to our, our guest. Uh, our guest today is uh, hes really the person that has helped make all of this uh, kind of come together. Um, Blake Rubenstein. He's my boss. Uh, and... The reason I wanted to have him on our episode one is we get asked a lot about where we came from, new company. Oh, how you know how long have you guys been around? This, that, and the other. Um, and Gorilla has a really, really interesting backstory uh, that I want Blake to kind of help fill everyone in on who we are, where we came from, uh, and and what it is that we're doing. So Blake, my boss, will be uh, the the one who helps kick us off. Uh, with all of our interviews. So we'll be back after to kind of break everything, not break everything down, but wrap everything up and uh, get out of here. But uh, for now, Blake Rubenstein, CEO, uh, Gorilla Capturing. Yeah, my favorite part about this is that you don't know what I'm about to ask. But it's it's nothing bad. Let's just start. Let's just do it. You know what I'm afraid of? What? Go you ahead. should know the answer to that. Uh, is it nothing? <laughs> that took way too long. My favorite part of this is that we're already started. You didn't even know that we're already started. This is all going in. Is it? Okay. Yeah, it's all going in. Um, thanks for parking 20 minutes for me. I know it's hard to find time in your schedule. We have to, we're getting this in between your last meeting and your next meeting. It's typical. Yeah, typical. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being my first guest. I figured you were the best first guest because when you and I go to these events, whether it's here, a game here, or like we were just in Toronto – we get the question a lot like, oh, so you guys are like a brand new company. And I don't know how to answer that ever because what we're doing with Gorilla Sports is very new. But like all of this is not very new for you. So I'm going to start by asking you, Blake Rubenstein, 
CEO of Gorilla Capturing. What what is Gorilla Capturing and kind of I guess let's start there. What's Gorilla Capturing, which is the seed that has led to all of this? Uh, we're a boutique video production agency, if you will. Okay. We help people with their creative needs. Uh, heavily weighed in video production. That's my whole background and career has been in making videos, and it's spun into a business, a bit, which is a good way to make money. A business. Uh, when did you start? Like, what, so I know when like the the founding date is, but like, when did you actually start doing this? Do as you a, know what the founding date is? Well, I don't know what the date is. I know okay. what the year is. Two thousand June tenth of two thousand eight. It's one day after my wife's birthday. Fantastic. Yeah. It has to be related. Something. Yeah. Uh, but. So 2008, is that when you like a first officially started doing like stuff on your own? Yeah. And probably I was doing some freelance stuff before that and got some advice from someone I knew that was a successful business person and told me basically how to register an LLC with the state of Colorado and start doing everything as a business and having the protection of an LLC and doing everything legitimately. As opposed to freelancing? As opposed to just freelancing and being only under my social security number as an individual, I then became a business and had an LLC, which uh, I guess was the right thing to do. It established an establishing date for the business itself. Uh, Now it's literally just a date that is, I I guess, uh, written on invoices as our (laughs) establishing date, but... Uh, I've always remembered that day because I actually went to lunch with my step grandfather mm-hmm. and he's the one who gave me this advice and I went home and registered for the business. Oh, you did it all in the same day. day. Yeah. That was June 10th of 2008. I ate at Jason's deli with him and uh, shout Aurora. out Jason's deli, Jason, Jason's deli. I wish it was a little more prevalent <laughs> than it, it, or it used to be. The yeah. muffaletta with uh, no olive mix was the bomb. I, look, Jason Deli's not a sponsor yet, but. We're here. Um, I know you told me before that I think you originally went to school for something other than video or video was like an, you know, addition. What what was like the swinging moment for you where it's like, no, that's what I want to do? Yeah, I kind of always knew uh, we went to the movies like all the time as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I knew since yeah. I was a little kid, I wanted to be involved in filmmaking or video production of some sort. Yeah. I went to CSU. Now, was, now was that like a you liked like making videos and stuff, or was it like a like no, I want to do that when I get older? Because I liked like doing creative stuff and like making videos with my friends and stuff like that. But I, it took me a long time before I realized like ooh, maybe like being on camera is something that I would find interesting as a career. Um, I always I always wanted to be behind the camera. I never really thought I was gonna be like an actor or anything. I wanted okay. to direct films. Yeah, be the the next Steven Spielberg or something like that. I always, we went to the movies so much and watched so many movies. It was a big part of my life, big part of my childhood. And I was just thought that I wanted to direct films. Hmm. All right. So I like that. My first try at college was up at CSU. Um, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. That's where I kind of learned all of my social cues. I built lifelong friends. I, I, I think I learned, more of what not to do there. <laughs> I, I didn't say, do but there's a, school. There's a comma coming at the end of this. I basically played basketball for seven hours a day and right, then went nice. out with my friends and didn't do that great at school. Ended up uh, leaving Did you there try film stuff it. there or not really? I didn't really ever get into See? it because I was in 
media studies and as an underclassman i was trying to get through my cores and not really going to school yeah 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 uh it's the passion thing though, dude. Like I had that same thing with like going like to, a, you know, the thought of like going to traditional college. I was like, I, I know that's not where my passion lies. And it sounds like the kind of wish the same I thing. knew, but I also, I, again, I wouldn't trade those years totally. that I spent there yeah. uh, for anything. Yeah. I did realize quickly I needed to find something like either a really good job or a focused mm-hmm. program to really go learn. I ended up going to Art Institute here in Colorado, which yeah, pour one out. now no longer exists. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. at the time, what I liked, it was like four classes about video for every core class you did. Nice. So I ended up doing yeah. really well in school then because I was, I was a little bit older. It was my second try at college. And I realized that going there and being a part of it and then doing all the homework, it actually was fun. Yeah. And so I, I went from cared about it. really hardly anything about videos at all to – Knowing enough to go make beginning to end videos by the time I graduated. Yeah. Do, do you, okay, so you did all of that. You, you, you're doing freelancing. And then when you started this business, do you, was there a, sh- a particular shoot or a moment where you kind of were like, whoa, I'm actually doing this. Like, this is what I set out to do. And I'm, I'm out here shooting video. I'm at this thing. I'm at this event. I'm working for this company or, or not really. I don't know if I have a singular thing like that. There are a lot of things that I do look back and reflect on now mm-hmm. as big significant things yeah. that have shaped it yeah. uh i think i probably need to do a better job of and I, i'm actually better at it now in my yeah. 40s we where talked I about can, yeah. like at the all-star game i mm-hmm. was able to take some moments and realize the significance of where we were at what mm-hmm. we're doing and who we're doing it with yeah 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 and i, I do i try to like take those and be present and i'm a little more like uh able to do that now as, as I'm older, I have yeah. kids and I'm a little more reflective in general. Yeah. Um, but I always just kind of was so like on Focused. the grind yeah, yeah, yeah. and like I would shoot all day, edit all night, try to get clients and talk to them in between mm-hmm. before I had kids. Like that was easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, your kids into making movies? Do they do they understand what you do? Kind of. So Bodie's seven, and he definitely does, and he's he uh, knows a lot about video production. Nice. He went on dozens of drone shoots when he was a nice. little kid. Sick. Now both my kids, my daughter is three, and oddly enough, you'd ask me about that. I presented to my daughter's oh, preschool yeah. today. Oh, about, that was, oh, you already did that today? I thought that was no. I did that this morning. Ooh, and dad of the year. Uh, it was actually one of you know just. A awesome experience. Mm-hmm. I had done it before uh, when Bodie, my son, was the same, the same age in preschool, and it went about the same. You kind of <laughs> have a plan on what you're going to talk about, and they just say whatever random thing. Comes <laughs> well, I was going to say that age. Five year old, five three year old girls, and so I had the best time just kind of taking their questions seriously yeah. and interacting with them. Luckily. It, it was a very nice day. It's a very nice day out. Yeah, yeah. It is February, so I was worried that the drone wouldn't be Ooh, like did you my take the drone? saving grace. But Sick. I did. We we uh, we all went outside and we took some class drone photos, and they loved seeing it fly around. So totally that that's got to be one of the awesome. that's got to be one of the better like career day demos that they get to see. So this is like the the second most difficult interview of your day because like fielding questions for a bunch of three and five year olds, I'm sure is it's weird that I kind of have nerves going into something like that like oh uh, dude totally feel on the spot yeah 
especially with technically three businesses and yeah, all of it's a little more technical than a three-year-old girl would understand. <laughs> so yeah, yeah they understood them. that we cover hockey and nice. Yeah, they obviously could see the drone flying, so they got that. They got they that. Their picture, so they'll make some correlations there. Yeah, they'll they'll put it all together. Uh, so now looking back on everything, do you have a so far in your career? Do you have a favorite shoot or a, fi- a favorite uh, like that was really cool? Lots of them, yeah. but I think there's some for different reasons. Ones yeah. that were pivotal and like led to more totally some stuff like that. Um, one, I think just being an early adopter to the whole drone thing. Yeah. Um, uh, one of Blake's videos, a lot of you probably saw in 2020, the, I can't remember what you officially titled it, but I it was don't the, I remember either actually you the flew, big empty, I think. the big empty, you fl- he flew the, you flew the drone around Denver. Like it was like that first week after all the stay at home orders went in. And I remember you sharing that. And then that night I saw it on TV, like several different places. And that one kind of went, that one kind of blew up. Yeah, it did. It was odd because it's not like, I basically just went out and drove around, which it was the easiest to find parking of all time. (laughs) I'd literally just pull up to where I wanted and just capture what normal landscapes and maybe some uh, significant landmarks in Denver were Mm -hmm. and seeing them completely empty with like at lunchtime on a Friday, I think it was, or Maybe it wasn't a Friday. Anyway, it's a weekday. at lunchtime, yeah. there was zero foot traffic, almost no cars out. Yeah. And it was very eerie. Yeah. And but again, like that that video went crazy because yeah, you were one of the, you know, still even just a few years ago, like drone videos weren't as prevalent as they are now. Yeah, I feel like. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. Do you no, like you're your totally favorite right. shoot. Yeah. I uh, I guess I was kind of correlating that. Um. I had made a big deal because I was trying to get the 333 exemption, which is the initial thing to kind of before they had drone licenses. Mm-hmm. The exemption that you could get to fly commercially was this thing called a 333. Spent over a year trying to get it and couldn't ever get it. Finally, they came out with what was going to be this drone test that you go take at an FAA testing facility and get a pilot's license. Jeez. So I was studying this material of what they were guessing was going to be on this test because it hadn't come out yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, really weird how the dates line up. My my son, my, fir- my first kid was born prematurely by eight weeks, and he had spent mm-hmm. six weeks in the hospital. Yeah. And during that is when – so he was born on August 13th of 2016, Uh the reason I'm correlating all this because one of the biggest shoots that was pivotal in my career is yeah. for Twitter. And oh, wow. the day of that shoot was August 29th while he was still in the hospital. So I left his hospital room, went and did that shoot. August 29th is the day that the drone test came out. <laughs> Knowing I had the Boulder shoot, I scheduled it for August 30th the next day, which was also my second wedding anniversary. Dang. And I went and uh, passed that test. And then that kind of sprung me into a whole other thing where I was all of a sudden getting hired to do just drone shoots well, and on especially, top of doing the other videos we were already doing. You had to have been one of the very, I mean, one of the very first, like, licensed with what you're I had to have about, right? been literally probably one of the very first because right, I took right. it the day after it came out. But there was lots of people doing drones before me. Right. Most of the people who had caught on and were doing drones before 
were either pilots or did military stuff or drone work. Oh, interesting. Uh, in other avenues than yeah. video making. And so at first, it was very expensive to hire a drone pilot. And I wasn't getting the shots I wanted. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. really have any control as a director, especially early drones. Oh, oh I get I never had a monitor. So it was kind of a crapshoot on whether I could get the shots I wanted. Yeah. So when I learn how to fly drones it was strictly all from the angle of what shots can i get and what so what you video looked at shots can i get and what photos can i get i didn't care about what the drone looked like in yeah, the sky yeah or yeah yeah any of that I which is i'm assuming shots. what they all cared about i don't know for sure but yeah. but you were looking at I it from saw like it the... as i was paying a lot of money to do that i might as well teach myself totally yeah and i guess i'm glad i did i still do it i do drone shoots all the time. Yeah. And it's been fun to watch the technology over because now it's been about totally eight, nine years. The technology is ridiculous. It's crazy. And the you, quality of the imagery is I'm, equally I'm, as ridiculous. I'm always sending you the, the like they did the one, it's the same company that, that, um, the, on the ice for the Golden Knights celebration. Mm-hmm. To your point, like just the maneuverability of that and how crystal clear the images are and all that, it's, it's crazy. Um, you said, you know, you're, you learned that you're always learning new stuff. That's one of the things I love about you is you're always like, all right, well, let's figure out how to do it. I dragged you into the world of sports. Uh, well, like I didn't drag you, you and I kind of dragged each other there. Uh, how different has it been shooting the stuff that we're shooting this year versus what you're used to or what you kind of, you know, built up to this point? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I haven't really necessarily taken time to think about those differences, but (laughs) In the commercial work and branding stuff and all the corporate stuff we're used to doing, you basically bid out projects and you know what the project is and you spend a lot of time in pre-production planning yeah. stuff out. Now all of our stuff that we're planning and doing is ahead of it. And as far as like sports news and coverage, that's like a live thing. You yeah. don't really, you yeah. don't get redos. You don't get a second take. Yeah. You don't get you to have them come back out. out for another question. No. Yeah, You got to be ready to go whenever they tell you to be Mm -hmm. and it's kind of a it's different because it's news and it's professional sports and i wasn't necessarily in either of those before yeah yeah. being an avid sports fan i've been a huge denver sports fan for my entire life since Mm -hmm. before i could remember so i've always like followed and known a lot about sports Mm -hmm. and it was really my consumption of sports media i thought you know i kept Basically, every every year, every time I'd go to a game with Kevin, I'd try to get my couple minutes with you and be like, Jesse, let's make some really cool videos. Yeah. So, I guess, have you learned, has there been anything that, like, doing the, the stuff that, that is a lot quicker, everything you were just saying about, like, we don't have the, you know, the we there's a lot of stuff that we talk about and, like, plan at the All-Star game. There were several things that, like, you and I were like, cool, we've got this plan, and then we're having to switch on the fly even as experienced and, and as much of like a pro in this space as you are, have there been any things that working in the sports and news that you're like, Oh, all right. Well, I just kind of learned a new skill that I didn't know I had before. Yeah. I think that's natural every day almost. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way that we do get better. I think we spend a lot of time reflecting on things that work and don't work. Yeah. And then how to put up uh, protocols for when, of course, one of the <laughs> pieces of technology is going to break or something's going to happen we kind of have what's our next step? Mm-hmm. How is it that we're gonna fix this based on whatever could possibly 
go wrong, go wrong right and that's yeah. sort of what it's about what are the ways that you can constantly adapt and be ready for mm-hmm. whatever it is because yeah those the post game in the locker room isn't they're not extending that all of a sudden right, right. And they're not going to bring coach bednar back out to the podium if right because your audio didn't work or whatever yeah, yeah. um this is the last one that i've got for you because like i said i know you got to run to another meeting but um this has been like a crazy it's been a crazy last, geez, what, five months or whatever, whatever since September when we first went to Vegas for the rookie tournament. Um, and it's been really crazy and really hectic and really busy. Do you have a moment from this season, purely on the sports stuff, that's like a, that's been my favorite moment so far this year? Yeah, I do. You do? Uh, it was uh, meeting Elliot Friedman at the yeah. All-Star game. Yeah. I have a feeling you knew I was maybe going <laughs> to mention I genuinely that, but... didn't. I didn't know where you were going to go. Well, and I think it's funny because we had talked for a, a long time. We've been a big fan of his, and yeah, I would jokingly, yeah. we would think one of our videos is going to take off, and I would <laughs> lovingly say, Elliot Friedman's going to say something to you, or he's <laughs> going to hit us up. It's going to be some interaction with him. And then when he said some very, and you and I both hate the term validating, but yes, he yeah. had some very kind words for us in yeah. person and knew who we were. And yeah, that was one of those moments like, we're we're on to something yeah. let's stay this course what we're doing is getting noticed yeah. and it's it's fun to do so yeah yeah we are on to something jesse dude i i totally agree I, I was just about to say i what's so fun for me what has been so fun for me about this year is i i have found myself in a, a couple different times that being one of them where that all right we're fucking we're you know we're doing pretty well like we're, we're figuring it out. We're, we're not, you know, we're not. Well, I want to know now what what's your, cause we've talked a lot. You've Ugh, had some yeah. absolutely amazing moments in this. Do you have one that you would um, consider your top? Honestly, right now off the top of my head, I, I can't really think of one. Um, we've had a couple different moments where, where I really have get back to the hotel room, get back to my house, whatever, and just kind of like stop and reflect um, I don't have one for you right now, but I will have one for you by the end of the season. I'll, I'll, I'll do you know how down. many arenas that you've I been to? Did this this morning? Actually, it's got to be in the twenties. Are you talking about this season? This or season alone, how 29. many? Twenty nine. Twenty nine arenas. Yes. Uh, um, that's crazy. I'm sorry. Twenty eight on Thursday. It'll be twenty nine. Detroit one game stop. Yes. Leaving tomorrow. Yes, leaving tomorrow, Detroit, and that'll put me at twenty nine for the year. And the three I'll be missing are Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, which are all on one trip next month. And, all right, I'll say it. I'll say it out loud. Uh, that that will put me at um, all 32 NHL arenas just in my, not this year, but just total. Okay. Since you couldn't answer the other question then, what's your favorite arena? Mm. And then what's your favorite City, not including the arena experience. Um, probably Tampa. Mm. Um, and and I guess that's maybe cheating a little bit because what I it's the area around the arena. It's kind of Cherry Creek ish, uh, and I love it down there. There's great food. There's there's plenty of places to get drinks. The weather's nice. It's right on the bay. Uh, it's just a really nice area to be. So that's probably my favorite place to go. Um, my favorite arena, I've heard this one in Detroit is really nice. It's just a few years old. I've heard it's very nice for me. It's Seattle though. Mm. Brand new state of the art. Um, like, and they, 
like there's attention to detail on everything from the media rooms down low all the way up to the press box. It's got the, like, it's got a gondola style press box. You're like hanging over the ice. Um, that one's probably my favorite arena, but I did get to do a bell center this year for Montreal. That was a bucket list one for me. And then like Madison square gardens, like how do you not love Madison square garden? Well, and I haven't been on a, a mere fraction of the road trips you have, but we did the golden Knights together early yes. season. Yep. And yep. that was a really cool in-game experience. Dude, I thought it's the best in the league from, in my opinion, it's the best in-game experience. They make it like a Vegas show. I totally. thought that was, it was fun. Like it was hard to be in the media box and <laughs> not like just kind of enjoy that. Right. Well, cause dude, I mean, they got the showgirls and the music and, and I mean like the, the pregame production totally. It's, it's very easy to get, yeah, caught up in everything in Vegas. So I'm I'm with you on that. Vegas is a it's up there for sure. Their experience start to finish is great, but they're like in game experience. Like any arena should be studying what they do. It's great. Heck yeah, heck yeah, Blake. Thanks, dude. I I I appreciate this, and I had so much fun. Thank you. Thank you for literally everything. You're the driving force. You're what makes us go. Uh, you are the man. I know you absolutely love compliments. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well. Well, we I, couldn't do this without you. You're huge. Thank you, Jesse. Well, thank you. And 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 truly, man, like we we talked about it when setting up that you were gonna be the one here talking. Like you, as I will I will take those compliments. I struggle to take compliments, I'll take them, and they mean the world to me. But you you are also kind of like the the heart of everything that we do here, not with not only with the sports, but the studio that we're sitting in, uh, you know, the the gorilla caption, the business you were talking about at the top, like you are the heartbeat of all of it. And so we appreciate everything you do. Uh, and it's why I wanted you to be the first guest um, on on this new show because the show is called This Is Fun. And I think you and I have had some fun this year, and we're always trying to remind ourselves that it gets stressful and gets crazy, but this is something really cool that we get to do. So thank well, you for being a part of this with me. Honestly, it's an honor, and you're welcome, and thanks again, man. Thank you. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it, Blake. I, uh, I ambushed him with that. He did not know that we were going to be um, – interviewing him i asked him for 20 minutes of his time to chat and then we put him in front of a camera uh so big thanks to blake i hope that helps people kind of get caught up on who we are um this is fun we've we've had a great uh great time getting this off the ground it's been a little chaotic getting everything going here in the first um few months but jay i i hope i you know i hope you're in agreement with this that um I'm so excited about everything that we have coming next because it feels like we're at a point where uh, everyone's kind of taking a bit of a deep breath and we're ready to start doing the stuff that we want to do and not everything that we have had to do to get us, you know, just to, to kind of a, a resting point. So uh, I'm heading to Detroit this week. Uh, then I'm heading on another two-game trip next week. But we'll be back beginning part of next week uh, with another episode um, and another new guest. And, and we're just going to keep building this. Please... Uh, we want the feedback, people you want to hear from, ideas you've got for the show. Uh, this is about giving you guys a look uh, at what we do and 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 the um, the conversations that we get to have kind of every day. So uh, thank you guys very much. Episode one, cannot be more excited uh, to get this going. So uh, for Jay, I'm Jesse. Uh, thanks so much, guys. Talk to you next week.